you would, turn in the Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. It's already been a really good Sunday morning between the violin and that IMB video. I'm, I'm encouraged. I thank God for that. All the, all the people playing instruments are awesome. It's not just the violin. <laughs> all of y'all did a good job. All of you all. You know, we finished James a couple weeks ago. We're in between series, and I wanted to uh, speak to helping us think through how we live in this world uh, like an outreach such as the food pantry that we have here. I think today will be helpful for us. You know, as our family has gotten bigger and bigger, it's harder to make decisions, and some of y'all can relate to that. If we get in the car and we say, hey, where y'all wanna go for lunch, that's actually a bad idea to even say that because you have everybody saying they wanna go here and they wanna go there. And, and you'll actually have somebody say, you know, well, well, I want a pizza. And if we're not having pizza, then I'm not eating, you know, or something like that. And that's just such a bad attitude. And, you know, you can't, you can't do that. Or if we're trying to choose board games to play at home, like what are we gonna play? We're gonna play Monopoly. We're gonna play Risk. We're gonna play Checkers, which... Which, by the way, on just a little side note, there's not anybody in my house now that I can beat in checkers or chess. I lose every time now. And that's kind of a sore subject. But we try to get seven people together to choose a board game to play, and you know nobody can agree. And, and if somebody takes the attitude of, well, then I just won't play, it's just such a bummer, isn't it? I mean, it's just such a, such a downer. It's such a negative. It's, it's not the right attitude to have. And the right attitude to have is, hey, no matter where I find myself, I'm gonna do it all for the glory of God. Don't you know that to be true? No matter what situation I find myself in, I'm gonna do it all for the glory of God. Well, churches are in that exact position. This is not our home. This is not our promised land. This is not what satisfies us living here. It's not supposed to be, and it's never going to. Heaven is. Christ's kingdom is. And so while we live here, what do we do with it? How do we make the most of it? What's the proper attitude? The Bible is full of great examples. When God called Abraham early in the book of Genesis, he led him out to the Negev, and there, in the midst of people who did not know God at all, Abraham was there thriving. He was loving those people, and he was praying for them, and he was blessing them. He was making their situations better. Where Abraham went, things were a blessing. Or you think about Joseph later in the book of Genesis. In Egypt, just thriving. Ideal situation? Not at all. Did he wish he could go back home? Absolutely. Did he make the most of it? You better believe he did. Was God with him? Yes. Was God's hand upon him? Yes. Did God open doors? Yes. You see that? Or think about Daniel in Babylon. Perhaps the most familiar to you. Captured. Brainwashed. They changed his name even. They told him what he had to eat. The king was raging in anger. Daniel, hoping in God, praying like crazy, faithful, making a difference, thriving. It wasn't the ideal spot, but they stayed focused on God. Churches and believers are to have this attitude. 
And so I want to use our church's food pantry, this ministry that came to us several years ago and has now just ballooned into a massive effort as an example for us to think through all that we do with our lives living outwardly in this lost world. I want you to know that we're speaking today about how all of us should think about our food pantry, yet it will apply to the way you should think about all that you're a part of. This should be the mindset from the Bible where you work. This should be the mindset through the Bible of you in the midst of your family. This should be the mindset of how you are with your kids at school and how you are with your neighbors and how you are with every single group that you're a part of on any level. This should be the focus. But I'm gonna use the food pantry because it has become such a big deal in our lives. Several years ago, we had what we called here through a a connection with the a Jefferson County neighborhood place, a baby store. And there was a little room that we had here and it, was, it had diapers and it had stuff for babies and people in the community, once they got connected through the uh, service centers, could come here and they would help them get stuff for their babies. On a good week, one person would come through the baby store on a good week. Many weeks, nobody would come. It was a neat work, but there just wasn't much going on. One day out of nowhere, Dare to Care called us completely out of nowhere and said, hey, can we meet with you? We think that the South Louisville area and specifically Fairdale is a desert for food. People who need food don't have places to get food. Could we meet with you guys and see if y'all be open to having a food pantry? We met with them. We thought it was a good idea. And so we went for it. We pinpointed Miss Tish Harden that she would lead that work, and she said yes, and she's been doing a great job ever since. So we kicked the baby store out with love and kindness. We told them we'd, we couldn't do that anymore, and so we opened, up, we opened up the food pantry. And what started off as one little room has now turned into 10 or so refrigerators, 10 or so freezers, 20 to 30 people volunteering five to 20 hours a week, thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds every week come into the church, turn it around, get it sorted, and back out the door within 48 hours. It's huge. It's turned into anywhere from 150 to 200 cars in our parking lot every Wednesday totaling anywhere from four to 600 people coming through here every Wednesday. That's a lot. That is a lot. How in the world are we to think about that? Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing that we have that going on? Well, that's a big question. And there is a lot to consider. And that's what we're gonna do today. In Jeremiah chapter 29, You have a letter from God's prophet Jeremiah to God's people, the exiles who are in captivity. They're in Babylon. This is not a good situation. They are right now under the judgment of God because of their unfaithfulness. Jeremiah's entire ministry is known as the weeping ministry. He is known as the weeping prophet because Jeremiah cried all the time because nobody listened to him. Nobody listened to God's word. Nobody responded. Things looked so terrible. Jeremiah's whole ministry is known as that. And Jeremiah is one of the largest books in the Old Testament. It might be the very largest book in the Old Testament. 
And chapter 29 is God's letter from Jeremiah to his people who are captured in exile because of their sinfulness. Now, you know Jeremiah 29, 11, don't you? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You know that verse, don't you? Plans to give you a future and a hope. Everybody knows that verse, don't you? Everybody knows that one if you've been in church. I remember being in chapel one time long ago when I was in school, right? And the preacher stepped up, and there were a couple thousand people in chapel, and the preacher stepped up and he said, raise your hand if you can quote for me John 3.16. And man, it was like, yes, I can. Thousand people raised their hand, John 3.16. And he said, all right, great. I'm proud of y'all. You went to VBS. Raise your hand if you can quote John 3.15 or John 3.17. And nobody... Nobody in the entire chapel could, which means they hadn't been reading John 3 to know the heart of the word of God. They had just been taught John 3, 16. Jeremiah 29, 11 is like that, isn't it? We know Jeremiah 29, 11. We get that on a t-shirt. We put that in our emails. God has a plan for you. But we often miss, we often miss where it came. God says, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has a plan for them while he is punishing them. While they are captured and not in a pretty spot. Jeremiah 29, 11 comes to God's people who are suffering because of their sin and God is making that happen. He says, Jeremiah 29, 11, and the hope to them in the midst of this letter here in chapter 29. Read with me chapter 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Do you see that? This is a bad situation. Verse two. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, <laughs> king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's what it said, verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. In my name, I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God says right there, they are going through 70 years of discipline, 70 years. And then he will bring them in to their promised treasured land. Then he will take them back into the good graces of how things are supposed to be. And in the midst of the 70 years, they are to plant themselves there. They are to build houses. They are to work. They are to plant gardens. They are to thrive. They are to get married. They are to have children. They are to thrive. They are to pray for the place that they are. They are to seek the good of their enemies. They are to seek the good of the ones who came and captured them. They are to pray for them, seek its welfare, for in that they will get their own welfare. In the midst of all of that, they are to remember that God has them here. It is his discipline, and the father disciplines his children the way any father does when he loves his children. And through that, they would continue to seek the Lord, seek the Lord with all their heart, and then... Verse 12 says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and I will be found by you. People do not read their Bibles. They don't know that God talks like that. They don't understand that God may have you in a situation that you don't like and he has you there and he says, keep seeking me in that. People don't understand that. We've been listening to people preach without preaching the Bible. And so next thing you know, we don't understand how to thrive wherever God has us. And we suffer because of it. If you don't like the board game we chose, you get in there and play the game to the best of your ability. You try to win that thing and you have fun. If you don't like it that we're going to eat at the place we chose to eat, you get in there and you say, God, thank you for this food and thank you for parents that are buying me this food and I'm gonna enjoy this setting. If you don't like the world you live in, you know what you do? You set your hope in Christ. You set your hope in Christ. And you say, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it all to the glory of God. This world wasn't my satisfaction to begin with. It's him. It's his love. And in verse seven, that's what we're gonna focus on right now. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you. Let's don't make it pretty. This isn't a nice small little town where everybody's trying to move to because they got nice neighborhoods and you know kids play together in the streets. This isn't the, this, he's not saying find the most desirable place and have a great time there and it'll be all good for you. That's not it. Don't try to turn your Christianity into that. This is King Nebuchadnezzar who hates God who just captured the people of Israel and they're stuck there miserable. That's what it is. And he says, seek the welfare of that place and make that place better. Be a difference, shine a light, pray for them. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. Now, I'm not sure how you view South Louisville. I'm not sure what you think about Fairdale, your neighborhood or place you work, your work environment. I don't know. You may really like it, and so it doesn't so much connect to this context. You may hate it. You may be suffering right now. You may have been crying out, why, 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 okay? Regardless, 
That's not to be your satisfaction. It's not to be the foundation of your life and pleasure, joy, goodness. God is. The promises of God, the truths of God, Jesus as a savior is. And through that, from him, starting there, we seek to be a blessing. For some reason, in August of 1916, August of 1916, God led a group of people right here to this little spot to start a church. And the Lord builds the church. Jesus says that absolutely directly in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. And it was God's plan to put a church here in this area of Jefferson County, in this little spot. And if God has us here living in this place, going to church in this place, connected to these people, how might we think about it? How should we be? How should we treat people? How should we interact? And the food pantry serves as a great example for us to think through all of our lives with this little example. I wanna ask today, is it good for the church? Is the food pantry good for the church? Some of y'all might already be thinking, I don't know if it is, man. And we've got our nursery that's overtaking. We've got classroom two that's overtaking. We've actually got a Sunday school class that meets surrounded by canned goods right now. That's not too fun. It kind of stinks in there sometimes. Is it good for our church? Well, let's, let's think through it. Let's think through it. Is it providing opportunities for church people to serve? Is it providing opportunities to serve the people around our church? Is it providing opportunity for you to serve your church as your church serves out its mission? Our church has a mission. Our mission statements on the front of your bulletin is that we exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. And we never would have thought that the world would have become to this, but the world has become to where so many Christians don't know anybody that's not Christian. Some of you all have not talked to an unbeliever since last Sunday. You stayed in your bubble, you worked with Christians, you stayed in your house, you're all in around church people. And so quite honestly, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to go and shine the light in a dark world. There's no opportunity for you to do outreach or to witness or to speak the name of Jesus. Does this food pantry provide an opportunity for you to serve your church while living out that mission? Is it an opportunity for you to look somebody in the eye who is struggling and let them know that you love them and you care? Does it provide that? Do our people enjoy working here? Is it, is it painful to be here on a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Or do you like it? Do you get a kick out of it? Do you leave happy? Do you leave fulfilled? Is it teaching, is the food pantry teaching our people how to live out their faith? James told us just a few weeks ago that we are not to be hearers of the word only, but we are to be doers of the word. We're supposed to come here on a Sunday morning, read verses like this, and then go out of here as soon as we leave and seek the welfare of this place that we live. Louisville, Kentucky should be better because of the churches in Louisville, Kentucky. That's the honest truth. Your street should be a little bit brighter, a little bit cleaner, a little bit kinder, a little bit more helpful because you live on that street. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, God opens doors and closes doors, but this is what the Bible teaches. We make the most of it. Doesn't matter who your neighbor is. Are we doers of the word, like James says, and is the food pantry giving us that opportunity? 
I think the answer to all those questions is yes, it is. But we need to keep asking that. We need to keep saying, is it? It's not automatic that it's good for our church. I said, is it good for our church? Could be bad for our church, couldn't it? Could be bad for our church. It could be bad for our church if no one was volunteering. And the last thing we need is a truck showing up here with 12,000 pounds of food and, and Miss Tish there with one other person to try to undo it, unload it all. That'd be bad. Not only bad because they couldn't do it or it'd take them a long time, but they would be so discouraged. They would be so frustrated. When Dare to Care approached us and asked if we would have a food pantry, we said yes, and they started. You know what happened? We started getting calls from other churches that said, hey, y'all open a food pantry. We heard that. Well, we're closing ours down. We would love for y'all to come. We would love for y'all to come. We got some shelves for you all. We got canned goods for you all. Yeah, well, that'd be great. And we're like, all right. So we went to some of these other churches and got some of their stuff. But all the while, we're kind of like, why are y'all closing down? We're downsizing. Why are you downsizing? And we've heard this from three different agencies. And we can't find anybody to work. We can't find any volunteers. If that were the case, it would be bad for our church. It would be bad. If we can't find anybody to lead this work, I hope Miss Tish keeps doing it for 100 more years. But whenever she's ready to step down, we gotta have somebody step up, right? Or, or if not, we're gonna be in trouble. If nobody wants to help, then it can become a heavy burden to our church. And then it becomes an ongoing source of discouragement to our church. It's something we're trying to do, but we're not able to do. And it just hangs on us and it weighs on us. And then we find ourselves trying to do something that we're not doing well. And every Christian knows doing something poorly burdens you so much. It frustrates you. It stresses you. It leads you to think something's not right. The food pantry could become that. We have an opportunity that we recognize here Dare to Care told us about this opportunity. People are lining up outside, but if we can't do it, then we're discouraged. Also, here's another way it would be bad. It could be bad for our church if our team didn't have unity and teamwork. If they were in each other's way and getting on each other's nerves and insulting each other. If it was causing divisions in the church of people not liking each other. If our people didn't gladly serve together. If they were frustrated if they didn't build each other up through it, instead they were tearing each other down, that would be bad for our church. If people leave here after having served in the food pantry are more upset and disappointed than they were uplifted by teamwork making the dream work or strength in numbers, if they were more upset and disappointed, then that would be bad for our church. We must think through these things. And as we lead these ministries and these opportunities, we must think like this. We must analyze this. We must have our eyes open and ears open for this. We must lead with prayer. We must serve with joy. We've got to make sure in this situation that we know this food pantry is good for our church. We have to make sure we understand God's perspective. We have to hear Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Now, we're not in exile here necessarily. We are strangers and aliens. But we want to see South Louisville thrive. We want people to think of us. We want people to know that we're here to help. We want people to know that we're here to be a blessing. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, just a little bit ago, Matt McBroom read from Matthew chapter 5. 
And it's a passage that is very familiar. But think about what the church does when it serves outwardly like this. And the very words from Jesus are, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Is it good for our church? Well, one of the things that a food pantry does is it makes our church visible. It makes our church visible. You can't drive down Fairdale Road on a Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock without having to stop because of the traffic. People are recognizing that. People that come through here see us. They see how we treat them. They see if we're kind. They see if we're nice. They see if we're sincere. But it's in that very passage in Matthew chapter five where it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. That's what the Bible says. But I wanna read to you a few other things that come out of Matthew chapter five that go along with this. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's never our desire to get back at somebody. We don't watch every car that pulls in here and think, I don't like them, we ain't gonna treat them nice today. We don't go, they don't need the food. We're not doing that. No matter who the person is, we're here to serve them as Jesus says. Listen to what it says next. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, the words of Jesus, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. When the church looks to be light in the darkness, when the church seeks the welfare of the city, we are being like God. It's good for our church. He goes on in chapter six to say, the words of Jesus, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Is it good for our church to have a food pantry? Depends. It depends on if we're focused on God and what his truth says about living in this world. If we're helping people, but doing it from the right perspective, then I think the answer is yes. It's good for our church. I think that we're seeing leaders developed. We're seeing Christians look for ways to volunteer. I think we're thinking about things where we meet the needs of others and we extend ourselves and we want to make sure that people are getting food. We don't want anybody around here starving. I think it's good for our church. We have to make sure we think about it on that level. Secondly, is it good for the community around us? Is it good for South Louisville? Is it good for the food, I mean, for Fairdale, for us to have this food pantry? Well, it depends. There's a lot to think about here. And And on this question, there are two ways to look at it. Physically, is it good for those around us? And then spiritually, is it good for us around us? Are we giving them food? Are we giving them good food? Are we giving them enough food? Are we actually helping them? Were they able to eat? Were they able to feed their families? Are their bellies full? You know, one of the things that happens inside of families is tension and stress that causes fighting. And when you're hungry, you're not yourself, right? You get grumpy and angry when you're hungry. And can you imagine being a single parent or being out of work and you have all these kids at home and you're supposed to be feeding them and everybody's hungry and you don't have food? Well, imagine how wonderful it is if our church is able to step in and eliminate that problem. What a blessing we become. 
Did we treat them well? Did we encourage them? Did we do this service with kindness and gentleness? Did we make them happy? Did we help them? Are we helping eliminate the tensions in families and households because we've met a need and decreased a burden? One question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we helping them physically? There sure is a whole lot of activity going on here. I hope they're not here hoping that we've got some good food, but as soon as they get home, they're like, well, this is expired and this is trash and we don't like that and nobody likes all that health food and they just throw it away because we just worked so hard. Was it worth it? Did we actually make those cars and people better? Did we help their lives? Physically, we have to think through that. But more importantly would be spiritually. Are we helping people to think better or worse of God? Have we pointed them toward God with this effort? Are they considering truth now? Are they considering coming to church? We live in a day where most people have had bad church experiences now. Most people can tell you why they used to go to church and why they're not now. Most people. Get out there and talk, especially in our culture. Are we helping go against that? Are we able to cause people to say, you know what, those people aren't that bad. Those are friendly people. Those are helpful people. Are they more open to church now? Are they considering God because of the way they were treated? Are they learning that God is a helping God because God's church is a helping church? Are they learning that God is a provider because God's church is a providing church? And it's here where I think we have to ask ourselves questions like, is it good for the community? And this is a very painful question to ask. What would it be like if our, churches, if our church was gone? What would it be like if our food pantry closed down tomorrow? What would it be like? Would there be a huge need here? How would the schools be different if our church was gone? How would the athletics around here be different? How would the parenting be in this community if our church went away? If you weren't there and we weren't there, is it good for our community? Well, we better be able to answer yes to this. But may we not answer it yes just because we're patting ourselves on the back. May we answer it yes because we are truly seeking the welfare of the city around us. Because our God teaches us to. Because he's been good to us. A couple years ago, the baseball league right up the road contacted us and said in the midst of hundreds of kids playing youth sports, they can't get five to volunteer in the concession stand. Why? I don't know. What that says about our community and our kids' parents and grandparents, that's on us. I don't know. But you know what I said? We would love to send people to work in a concession stand. Five people a night from six to eight? Come on, that's nothing. And we did for years during the summer. We just say, hey, may want to go down to concession stand? You go down there and you sell hot dogs and candy and snow cones and you're a blessing. You think the ball field benefited from that? Trusting us that we wouldn't steal anything, that we wouldn't lie, that we would be honest and friendly and helpful and work and we'd clean up the cotton candy machine after it's over. We'd clean up the popcorn machine after it's over. We would just do it just to do it. You think people aren't noticing? Why would they do that? 
We got parents whose kids are there practicing that won't even volunteer in the concession stand. And here we come, no connection up there, just volunteering in the concession stand. Yeah, that's huge. Does that make a difference? Yes. Where does that come from? Okay, God. Does the community benefit from our food pantry? Well, the answer better be yes, but we've got to think about it the right way. In Matthew chapter 25, so I'm going to stay in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 25, you've got this amazing, heavy, heavy passage. And it's Jesus in the Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse, one of his other big sermons, other than the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking about the final judgment. Jesus speaking about the final judgment. And he says this, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Okay? So it's judgment. And King Jesus has separated every human being ever. There's about eight billion right now living we're talking about every human being ever. We're talking about a lot of people. And he will divide every single one based off whether they know Jesus or whether they do not. Then, verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So welcome to heaven. Look at this next verse. If you've never heard this passage before, stick your bookmark there and never, ever forget it. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous on their way to heaven will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? In verse 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The way we handle those around us who aren't believers and in the church reflects what we say and believe about King Jesus. And he even says, what we do to them we're doing to him. That was the saved people. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then, look at this, y'all. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. What a passage. 
Is it good for our community? Everything about this church, being in a community, should be good for the community. We don't have all the resources in the world, but we are here to help. We hope when anybody has any need, they think, ask the church. With all wisdom and prayer and discernment, we will do what we can, but we want them to know we are here for them. While in exile, seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare, you will get your welfare. Lastly, well, is it good for God and God's purposes and God's glory? And I want to answer it briefly with this. If we are being like God, according to God's truth, then absolutely. Jesus left heaven, sent by his father, entered into a world that had rejected him. This was not his home. He's already gone back to heaven. He is seated on his throne in heaven as we speak. But he entered into this world and took on flesh and went to the cross and took on sin. And God, who, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we would get what he has. He took our sins, we get his righteousness through faith. Jesus' whole life and work was about laying down his life, sacrificing himself, giving himself for the good of those in a lost and dying, fallen world. What an example. Now, he's the savior that we need. And if you've been wrestling with what it looks like to live in this world and everything not going well for you, I ask you to not first thinking about the welfare of the city or not start first thinking about your own welfare, but I ask you to consider how did Jesus treat the sinful world? How did Jesus treat his enemies? How did Jesus treat those like you or me that have sinned against him? And the answer is that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were against him, he came to us. When we were spitting in his face, he did not say a word and fight back. He went to die for us, to give us a hope and a future, for he knows the plans he has for us, and he will make sure it happens. We've got to understand how Jesus is to a world that does not agree with him. We've got to understand how Jesus gave himself, and then we as a church say, we want to look like Christ to the world. And as we aim to meet physical needs, may we see God opening up doors to meet spiritual needs. And Tish can tell you, and our volunteers can tell you, it's happening. God is opening doors through our food pantry to have conversations, to be sharing the gospel, to be getting people involved with church, coming to know the Lord. It's happening, and we praise God for it. But we wanted to have this message today to be a reminder to us of how we ought to think about this. In closing, I want you to look at 1 Peter. Because I know Jeremiah's Old Testament, and there's, there's some ways that you start asking some questions about the differences between their, their experience and ours. But 1 Peter is not. And 1 Peter is written 
by the apostle Peter to the elect exiles, believers in the world that are not at home, okay? That's what 1 Peter is about. And I want to show you some of the things that Peter says. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, we're not living for that which is here now. We don't love the world as it's our treasure. God is our treasure. Heaven is our home. We're living for his reward. And from from that, we can then go and love the world. Chapter two, verse one, look what he says. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Drop down to chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's keep going. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Look at this verse. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is speaking directly to the New Testament church. He realizes they, the world speaks evil about them. He knows that happens. Y'all, there are going to be people who do not like us or for whatever reason hate us. The Bible says it. But with the way we conduct ourselves, not being distracted by the world, but faithful to the love of God, they will recognize that they are wrong in their assessment and that God is with us. They will see that. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You don't shut them up by arguing. You don't shut them up by being louder. You shut them up by putting your hand to the plow, getting focused and go and serve God with what God tells you to do. You seek the welfare of the city. You make the world that you live in a better place to whatever degree you're able to. And the world has to admit that God's perspective on our lives is making a difference. We must recognize this. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter knew how the church should live. Wherever you're at, serve the Lord with gladness. I want to read to you some final words 
in regards to 1 Peter. He says, underlying all that we have going on here, this letter to the exiles, is a biblical doctrine of the goodness of God. The goodness of God. God showers his providential care upon a rebellious and ungrateful world which God knows is passing away. Think about that. We don't find God going, well, they're not gonna appreciate it, so I'm not gonna do it. They're not gonna be thankful for it, so I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna be good to them. They don't deserve it. We don't find God saying that. God showers his providential care upon a rebellious and ungrateful world which God knows is passing away so his children can do no other. God does good because good needs to be done and so must his pilgrim church. In 1 Peter, the good works of Christians were clearly orientated towards the needs of others in their temporal cities in which they lived. There is a, a, a letter in the early church that makes this observation about 1 Peter. A wonderful and confessedly strange characteristic of the constitution of the heavenly citizenship. That because we belong to heaven, we're so committed toward our belonging here. So in summary, listen to this. 1 Peter shows us how it is possible to be truly heavenly minded and of real earthly use to the welfare of the city. May we understand that about our food pantry and may you understand about wherever you are, that should be the case. God has us where he has us. We have the opportunity to be salt in the earth Light in the world. If somebody gets to have any experience with First Baptist Church Fairdale, may it be a blessing to them. May they be treated well. May they be loved. And through that, may we be sure to tell them of Jesus who died for their sins who taught us how to be this way, who will save their soul, who will forgive them. May God make us a real witness in the world. In a day where division is on the rise, may this church let witness be on the rise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a re-look at Jeremiah's letter and seeking the welfare of the city. Father, we pray that you would use our food pantry. And dear God, we pray that the individuals in this church would be the strength of us understanding we are in the world, but not of the world, and we have been blessed to be a blessing. Father, we pray that you would move in our hearts now in Christ's name we pray, amen.